Hello and welcome to another episode of A Good Three. Dr. Turf, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Matty. On the eve or the week of one of the favourite races on the uh, calendar, wouldn't you have thought? Oh, of course, the Cox Plate. Always look forward to it each and every year. We'll have a little chit-chat after our guest today because uh, they've got a tight time frame. But Paul Tatnell, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Matt. I am also very excited. I reckon this Cox Plate is the race of the spring, the way it's shaping up. It certainly is. We saw a cracking Might and Power Stakes a couple of weeks ago at Caulfield. A lot of those combatants to do battle mm. again on Saturday. But our special guest this week, Turfy, uh, you're going to have to eat a little bit of humble pie shortly <laughs> because uh, you made a mistake with their name a couple of weeks ago, which we'll touch on shortly. But Will we? Yes, <laughs> we will. But uh, one of racing's brightest stars, uh, star of racing.com and Channel 7, and also the ambassador for the Cox Plate this week is Lizzie Jelfs. Lizzie, how are you going? Very well, thank you. Yeah, it's great to um, join you. And it is such a um, massive week leading into the Cox Plate. Of course, it's 24 hours of great racing. We've got the Manicato on Friday night and the Cox Plate. It's probably one of the most exciting additions of, you know, weeks was amazing, those four Cox Plates. But this is quite an open field with lots of intrigue. And I think that that's what makes it so fascinating to, to try and work out who's going to prevail on Saturday. Just before we get into uh, a few of the deeper topics, Turf, yes. an apology straight off the top? Oh, well, for calling Lizzie uh, Jane. Do you think that's required, yeah. do you? Wow. Oh, that's the old age, the Alzheimer's. Yeah. He forgets to say that we did work together one day at Flemington for about eight hours. I never called you Jane once that day. Uh, but I'm relieved to see you here, Lizzie, because I was walking the track at uh, uh, Caulfield again last Saturday. Lizzie was out there doing a track report in stilettos. And I thought, <laughs> there's no way she's moving. She'll be here all day. That, that, that was a, uh, a rookie era, I reckon, wearing stilettos out on the track last uh, last Saturday morning, Liz. <laughs> well, I've, I've done it for many times in Sydney and I've um, been able to get from one place to another. So I, the Caulfield track had no problems with me wearing stilettos in comparison to what I've been dealing with up in Sydney. Uh, Lizzie, you did all of your groundwork, um, all of your sort of career groundwork, if you like, up there in Sydney, working for Sky. How sort of familiar were you with the, the spring carnival up there, which is a little bit shunned on Sky and probably didn't allow you to embrace it like you have now? Um, well, I've, look, I've spent a lot of time all all around Australia. I worked a lot of time for the Spring Carnival in in Melbourne and in Sydney when the job that I used to do for Lindsay Park. So I had heaps of exposure to both states from a for a very long time. So I've been in Australia for nearly twenty years and doing the carnival, you know, scene for nearly that entire time, apart from the time I took off when I had children. So both carnivals have have been really prevalent to me. I know exactly what goes on in, in Melbourne and in Sydney because I actually used to get the benefit of doing both of them when I travelled horses. Lizzie, you touched on the fact uh, you've been in Australia for 20 years and every punter at home has seen you on their screens at, at skychannelracing.com and, and of course Channel 7 in more recent times. But what brought you to horse racing? Is it a sport that you grew up with? How did you get into this fantastic sport? Yeah, I have never um, had any exposure to racing prior to me getting involved with a stable in England. I, I basically just was a pony clubber. I loved horses and I've always had the passion to sort of work with horses from a very young age. But I literally just fell into it. I, I was interested somewhat in the – I used to watch the Grand National and Cheltenham Festival because I was into show jumping, so it was sort of a natural progression. But I wanted to do some work experience outside of – you know, going and working in an office or a law firm or at 
a hospital or something that all my friends were going to do. So I thought I'll go and try and work for a racehorse trainer. And I got a directory and I literally scrolled my finger down and landed on this one particular person. And I rang him and he said, sure, come along and, and try it out. And that's where my association with a guy called Charlie Edgerton started, who happened to be a very close friend to Lindsay Park and the Hayes family. So, yeah, naturally it, it didn't happen um through a, a passion it happened organically and as soon as I rode my first racehorse that's when I fell in love with racing. Liz I know you're um, sort of moving into sort of hosting and so forth now but you cut your teeth in the mounting yard your expertise in the mounting yard was legendary so just go through it with us you walk you're in the mounting yard the first horse walks in what are, what are you looking at what's the first thing you look at? I think you're just looking uh, at the package, the complete package is what I look at. So often, I'm, I always try and think, what's the first thing I look at? I generally just look at their their physique. I never go; to, their head is sort of the last place that I look. But I look at their physique, so I look at them probably from the shoulder to the hindquarter, and I think I, whether I like them as a type. And then, of course, you go you refer to their looks as in their coat and how they're walking and their behaviour, and then you sort of look at them as a whole. <laughs> Uh, to see how they're parading and whether that's a right, the similar pattern to what you've seen from them before. But I can't emphasise enough like the, the importance of actually knowing what you're looking at or the importance of building a profile on each horse and having the ability to see whether they've improved from each run to the next. That's when you have your edge from other people who, who aren't always watching them. But, yeah, it, it's I did cut my teeth doing that and I do absolutely that is my passion um, and I've done it my whole life really because when I worked for Hazers your your job is to you know report back on how horses are doing when you're when the head trainer is not there to witness them yourself so a lot of people can do what I do and they mainly work in the stables but it's it's such a um, joy when you're able to see them improve from one round to the next and, and give that information to people who are watching who don't necessarily or can't see it or aren't able to um, witness it themselves. I know nothing simple when it comes to assessing a horse in a mount, in the mounting yard, but a lot of people over the next couple of weeks will probably be going to the races for the first time this year or they're not regular race goers. For someone who's going to go down to the fence of the mounting yard and check out a couple of horses, what are one or two really basic positive or negative traits that they can immediately pick up and go, yeah, I think that horse is going to run well or potentially that horse might be below its best? Well, this time of year, you want to see their coat has come through, especially if they're uh, along in their preparation. So my uh, the, the best thing to do is have a look at your form guide, see where they are in a preparation, so whether they're first up, second up, third up, take that into consideration. So if they're first up, you want to check their fitness to see how far they are along in their first up run. If they're second up, you you want to see them looking pretty much spot on, I would suggest, and, and third up for that that account but a coat is really important if you go off their coat and you go off their general demeanor how happy and relaxed or focused they are and conserving their energy those are, are really important factors and I'm I'm a sucker for a good walk like I think I would say 90% of the horses that good horses that I've seen always walk well I remember always walking behind Winks and when she walked th and tracked through she would always her back Foot would always land where her front foot was and whenever I see that and those elements and they've got you know a good if you're looking at the form they've got a a nice form reference and you're picking between a couple of horses and you're thinking which one shall I go for then 
those elements that I just mentioned, the looks wise and, and their good walk, their fitness, their general demeanor, if they're ticking all the boxes and the other horse isn't, then you go with that one. So Turfy's out on track throughout this spring carnival, Lizzie. Uh, as he parades amount around the mounting yard, what do you think your assessment would be of his walk? Well, I reckon he's got a pretty good walk, actually. <laughs> he's got those long legs. <laughs> hey, Liz, do you want a horse uh, with its ears pricked? Do you want their head? Uh, do you want their head sort of down? Do you want them relaxed? Do you want them on their toes? What What do you want? Well, I think in the well, I know in, in the sprint races, I don't mind seeing them up and about a little bit on their toes, even having a little bit of sweat on them. I don't. I never mind seeing mm. them switched on if that's their normal. A parade for them. I, as a staying race or a horse that's running over a bit of distance, you you want them switched off. I've very rarely seen stayers when they're really excited win races. So I'm talking 2,000 meters plus. You really want to see them all calm. You want to see them really conserving their energy because they're about to run a long trip. So if you're looking at horses for the Melbourne Cup, you want them switched off. You don't want them on their toes. Uh, if they're displaying a bit of sweating, it's not the end of the world, especially if that's their usual process, which is something you can ask a one of the people who is doing the yard or you can ask uh, a handler maybe if you get that opportunity. But definitely relaxed uh, as far as ears forward and ears back. Well, you don't want to see ears back because if they're not happy to be there, then you know they're not going to race well. But generally, most horses that I've assessed in the yard, you never sort of see them really with their ears back and looking unwilling walking around the yard. You sometimes see it in Hong Kong. Um, they look a bit unhappy to be there and a bit sour, some of the horses, and I'm sure you get one or two over here. But at the top echelon, you usually see horses very willing and they're happy to be there, especially in the yard at that stage. That's a little bit like your ears when you walk in here for the podcast, Turfy. <laughs> what? Pointing straight backwards. Lizzie, <laughs> someone talking? Lizzie, you see a lot of horses and you also, in, in the media, you get a lot of tips and in this room you get a lot of bad tips. But <laughs> do you like to have a punt? Yes, I do. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, I do. I really enjoy it. And I find it, I used to be more so I would wait until I'd had a look at them but now it's a case of I can't see especially in Sydney I can't see them all the time so I um yeah I enjoy having a punt yeah I like to have especially if it's a long shot I like to have something quite if I really like a horse I have a have a nice little bed and back a few horses in a race and yeah it's I enjoy it part of the game yeah, <laughs> it certainly is. I'm not there by any stretch the best judge of the mounting yard but I, th I think so. You think it's the most breathtaking looking animal I've ever seen. Who's yours? He would be up there, and his progeny are up there as well. And you may not, you may say you're not a good judge in the mountain yard, but you're a very good judge. And I really enjoy listening to all of your um, selections and your thoughts and some of your robust conversations. If only he brought uh, those John, conversations so. to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I, I, he is probably one of the most magnificent looking horses I've ever seen if not the most, and his progeny are sometimes, I said to Jane Ival the other day, not this Jane, <laughs> uh, that uh, I said, I end up picking his horses a lot, his progeny a lot in the mountain yard. And, and she said, yeah, she was sort of comparing the horses that she used to pick a lot of as well. So yeah, it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite amazing how you really do gravitate towards one type and he's not a bad one to gravitate towards, especially when he had three Group 1 winners on one day up in Sydney. That was um, quite remarkable. You touched on Winx earlier and you would have had the chance to see her a lot throughout her illustrious career. Did you or did she stand out 
to you the first time she walked into a mounting yard. How early in her career did her appearance say to you, this is going to be an absolute superstar? Mm-mm, not at all. I remember a couple of times at the trials, I went to see her trial and I kept thinking to myself, what makes her so special? Like, I, it, she's, she wasn't a standout physically. She was always a really uh, nice mover. She's was she was had the strength in all the right places but it wasn't until she probably got to that latter part of her career and had peak maturity when she really started to blossom and and look the best she's ever looked but certainly not a standout as far as you know she wasn't flashy she was quite a plain uh Jane um but she sort of just really blossomed after a while and yeah she definitely didn't stand out so I think you do as much as it is about looking at horses and knowing how they, uh, you know, type-wise, it's not a particular type that wins races. It's a particular amount of improvement that they make, that they can invariably become a bit stronger. They can be trained a little bit harder. They keep going to the next level as far as their mental maturity. That's when you start seeing these really good horses develop, and that's what she was able to do. Lizzie, you are on track more weeks than most when it comes to races. We saw some pretty incredible scenes on Saturday with the Everest and even the Caulfield over the last couple of weeks. The crowds are back. Are you starting to notice on course a changing of the guard where the younger crew are starting to come through? Those scenes on Saturday, the Everest were quite incredible. Are you noticing that change in Sydney where – it's transferring not just from the Everest but to other meetings as well? Uh, I'm, I did definitely notice it in Sydney. Even after the Everest last year, I noticed a lot more younger people were coming on track and um, I was getting yelled at over the fence and, can you give us a tip, Lizzie? I was like, how do they know my name? And I think it's because they've been watching racing while COVID you know, was on. That was the only sport that was exposed. So... People are really engaged and invested in racing. And I think COVID's really helped us as far as being that only sport that was available at one point in time. So, yes, I definitely noticed a lot more people want to be engaged, especially in Sydney, because that's where I've been working. But the crowd at at, at Caulfield was also amazing. And I was walking out with Hamish McLaughlin because we're in a, a confined sort of an, a studio and we're not exposed I didn't leave the studio because I was covering both Melbourne and Sydney. But when we left, there was just so many young people and they were so into uh, what was happening throughout the day. And they were mobbing Hamish on the way out and talking to him about not only racing, but footy as well. And I think that, yeah, it's great to see everyone back on the track, but it's also great to see so many young people engaged. And I would say that the crowd at Caulfield were cheering as hard for the races in Sydney as they were for the races in Melbourne. And that shows you that there it's a, it, it's worked. It's such a, a good um, combination and that people want to see racing no matter where it is. Lizzie, you're great friends with Annabelle Nisham. You've helped her out at the sales over the last couple of years as well. She's got a number of terrific chances in the Cox Plate, including Zaki, who I think drew the gate they wanted, gate one. Uh, can he upset the favourite in Saturday's Cox Plate? Yeah, I reckon... Of course he can. It's look. It's, it's he's going to be hard to beat. Animos looks to be in a pretty good position from gate four. He's going to camp just off that speed. And 
it's very interesting to see how much speed will be generated, especially with alligator blood drawn out wide and everyone thinking, I don't want to be too far away. And they're all going to be thinking, I don't want to give Zaki an easy lead because he is hard to get past uh, at 2,000 metres. And I think he'd be especially hard to get past around here as well. So uh, it's fascinating the way the race is going to be run. And I've said all along, I, I think it's all to do with how the pace of the race is, where they all land and who gets you know the the best luck in running because there's very little between them apart from the x factor of the race which is the import l bodegon so who knows about him he looked to work really well to me here on tuesday just a natural type he seemed to get around the uh, valley okay and not a big robust horse but he is a northern hemisphere three-year-old so you've just got to take that into consideration as well but yeah it's terrific race. Lizzie, just before we let you know, go, I know you've got to get to a lunch shortly, but uh, you recently transitioned out of the mounting yard at Sky, as Turfy touched on earlier, and pursued uh, a career at Channel 7 and Racing.com more in the hosting side of things. How are you enjoying that transition? Yeah, it's great. It's um, I'm really enjoying it. It's a new challenge, and I am learning every day, and I get the opportunity to learn off great hosts, and, and I've it's been uh, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve all the time and, you know, hopefully I, I can develop my skills and, and further them and be able to, you know, be in racing for a long time in, in these positions. I'd love to continue the hosting and my passion is still looking at horses in the mountain yard as well. So I suppose I just... Um, doing a bit of jack of all trades really <laughs> when I think about it. And I'm sure you're getting some uh, guidance, Lizzie, from your mentor, I believe, uh, Ray Hadley, who I don't think we here in Melbourne realise <laughs> what a huge mm. and influential figure. Uh, hot, a lot of people are hot and cold about him, but he's certainly a larger-than-life Australian broadcaster. What's it like being mentored by somebody as big as that? Um, it's yeah, He's a very, very kind man, and um, he's... Yeah, he's not short of an opinion and I often will ask him, he gives me the truth as well, don't worry. He's um, always very straight to the point with what with feedback that he has for me, but um, he's been wonderful and, and a really big support and sometimes you just need that support behind you and I think in this game sometimes you can, there's a lot of people that have got a lot of bravado and, and strength and then there's other people probably who fall into that category who have who've got the, the experience but they just need a little bit of a nudge and... and, and um, just someone behind them just to help them along and, and show them that they're not imposters and that they can do the job just as well as anyone else. And, and that's what Ray's been able to do for me. He's really sort of, you know, helped me along and given me the confidence to pursue what I've always wanted to do. And that was just be able to be an all-rounded uh, broadcaster in racing and, and show that um, I can do a bit more than just staying in one position for all of, um, all of my career. Lizzie, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat. You're doing a wonderful job promoting the sport in uh, your various positions across a number of platforms. I think everyone at home really enjoys the insight you bring. So uh, keep it up throughout the spring carnival. And uh, if you want a bit of insight on the first ever running of the Cox Plate, I think Turfy will be able to give you a first-hand <laughs> account. So get him, uh, get him on the Channel 7 broadcast on Saturday. You're We'd idiot. love to. Yeah, he's a legend. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, enjoy the rest of uh, the week, Lizzie, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week. Having a bet on the racing this week? Top this. 
with Top Sport's Best of the Best Maltese. Top odds are guaranteed. Place a Best of the Best multi during Saturday Metro meetings for the top flux or dividend from the best three national totes. Plus, there's Best of the Best to win up to five grand too. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport. Feel the excitement. Don't let the game play. You stay in control. Gamble responsibly. A look from the book. Presented by Top Sport. Time now to have a chat to our good friend Tristan Merlihan at Top Sport. And Tristan, I imagine you breathed a little sigh of relief when Giga Kick, well, Private Eye first, and then Giga Kick was able to run down the very heavily backed nature strip in last week's Everest. Yeah, absolutely. Nature Strip was very, very well backed and uh, thought halfway up the straight, I thought we were in a lot of trouble there. But uh, no, Giga Kick and uh, as, as you say, Private Eye came home well, way too strong. So we were in a massive hole late leading up to that, but that helped us uh, dig a little bit back. So is that a good result for you, a race like that? You've got a, a big turnover race, I assume, uh, a short price favourite who's well backed. They've got to be the, the real fills for bookies, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. They're the ones that you put in, and particularly around about that price. Like from our perspective, if they get a little bit shorter than that, then sometimes you, you might lay a few others. But around that sort of dollar eighty to two twenty five mark, they're the ones that punters just love uh, ploughing into, and they certainly did on the weekend. Was very very well backed. We were happy enough to to, to lay it as well. Like obviously, it was the best horse in the race, but just thought it was somewhat of a risk. So we definitely put it in, which was uh, which was good. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I thought we were in a lot of trouble halfway up the straight. But yeah, we, we all know what happened in the last hundred. I suppose the other thing about Giga Kick is I don't know when you open your markets on the Everest, but he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have had a slot till about three two, weeks. So three weeks. you're betting on the race for five months, and he's not even mentioned in dispatches. That's uh, gives you a little bit of a head start there. I would have thought, Tristan. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, yeah, the vast majority of the turnover does happen late. Yep. Yeah, certainly in that scenario, it, it was uh, yeah, it was only a very late entry into the race or late nomination. So it was. Um, yeah, that, that was uh, that was one we dodged some, all the way up. Some of those future markets, some of those future markets are ridiculous. They had Nature Strip in the Manicato for Friday night until Monday. Mm. Like it's free money for you guys, Tristan. Surely. <laughs> 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 what was the Caulfield Cup like for you, Tristan? Uh, Caulfield Cup, we actually broke square on the winner was a good result, but the uh, the horse that fell in for third was the one that was uh, we laid a really really big each way bet on that. So I was sort of hoping it might have missed the bob. Um, in mm. the photo at the death, but certainly the favourite in that race was really well back, so we were we were happy to dodge that. And yeah, there was it was a really really good betting uh, affair. There was um, like the difference between the Everest and the Caulfield Cup was it was one out Nature Strip for us. That was the only horse we could lose on in the race. Where the the Caulfield Cup, there was about five or six little landmines there that we were trying to avoid. So punters had a had a varying opinion on a few different horses, which is always good. And obviously, you expect that with a much wider field as well. Cox Plate this weekend, uh, Animo and Zaki have probably been the top two seeds, I would have thought, for a number of weeks in futures betting. How's the book looking? And I noticed yesterday there's been a good deal of support for the international. He has been El about Bod- 11 El into about, Yeah, he's been 11 into seven, I think, uh, with you blokes. Has he not? Yeah, been absolutely smashed down the bottom of the, uh, the the list there. Obviously, Animo, a very, very firm favourite. Um, I would expect it will probably drift just with a couple of the, uh, the, the the things happening around the industry at the moment. Then Zaki, uh, Zaki drawing barrier one. Obviously, if that rail is is okay, it's going to be in a, in a in a prime spot. So there's been good support for Zaki, and and yeah, the bottom weight, as you say, been absolutely smashed. You look at a couple other horses like. Um, Thunderstruck was obviously very competitive there last start as well. So I think it's going to be a really, really good betting affair. And um, even a horse, the, the biggest bet we've taken so far this week has been on Moanga at the $26. So punters are going 
for a few of those wider options as well. Now, the lay of the day got back on track last week. I imagine you had a nice little, well, certainly a positive ledger when it came to Smoke and Romans, who you were keen to take on as favourite in the Caulfield Cup. He did. Yes, he no, did. that was uh, that was one we were certainly happy to put in, and uh, and yeah, we, we we definitely laid it, and as you say, missed the place, which was which was handy. So no, that was uh, good to get the other uh, lay of the day back on track, and uh, yeah, it looks at a couple of big races. We're, we're going to look at the uh, the Manicato for our lay of the day this weekend, where I'm going to throw in uh, the favourite Paul Lely, obviously a very very good horse, but uh, I just think Cool and Gator down the bottom of the weights. So I think it's going to be very very hard to beat. Yeah, fulfilled there for the Manicato. I think uh, 18 accepted, and uh, it's going to be a cracking race on Friday night. Tristan, uh, really looking forward to the weekend of racing. Keep up the good work there at Top Sport. And as I say each and every week, good luck for the weekend, but hopefully not too much. <laughs> Thanks, guys, and hope you're back a winner. Having a bet on sport this week? Top this. Whether you're into cricket and curling or golf and greyhounds, Top Sport will let you on for plenty. And with literally hundreds of markets from your own backyard to the international stage, Top Sport has you well covered. So if you want to get the top odds every time, bet with Top Sport. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport. Feel the excitement. Don't let the game play. You stay in control. Gamble responsibly. We touched on uh, Giga Kick there mm. with Tristan. What a story. Clayton Douglas. Great story. 27-year-old, uh, ex-jockey, uh, ex only a couple of years training. And uh, he managed to take out the Everest with a horse at its fifth, uh, sixth start on Saturday. That many? Fifth, fifth yeah, start yeah, on Saturday. Yeah, maybe only fifth. And really, uh, he'd done nothing wrong, but it's not as if he'd been blowing away those races against his own age. But here he's come and he stalked, uh, he stalked that uh, leading pack, which were going quickish, but not super quick. But and about the 300 metre mark, Willow couldn't get out. I remember watching and thinking, I'd back to the horse. Um, oh, of course he did. And I remember thinking, oh, he's cooked here. Cause he could, and then he, that turn of foot and the ride from Craig as well yeah. uh, was incredible. I've got to say, helped. And I would have thought both feature races on the weekend the Caulfield Cup and the Everest. I think the bookies were helped with the uh, both the rides on both of their favourites in both of those races, which I think the jockeys would like to have again, oh. just quietly, being trying to be objective here. Just not on, talking through me kick, Just on that, that Caulfield Cup carnival, uh, they had restricted crowd access this year with the, the renovations going on with the Caulfield Master Plan, but 25,000 on Saturday. It was a fantastic atmosphere on course. The Valley's already sold out for the Cox Plate. This weekend, I think they're expecting about 10,000 on the Friday night as well for the Manicato. It seems punters are really getting out and embracing mm. racing again. No doubt about that. It's, there's, uh, you know, it's been that whole adrenaline hit we got from, um, from COVID and, and the fact that everybody was housebound for two years just to, uh, to get out there. <clears throat> sounds silly, but even walking the track and seeing the infrastructure in place is sort of invigorating, you know, like it was lonely walking the track and at Flemington, you know, Cup Week the year before last and last year as well and the, no infrastructure at all. Yeah. It just may have well have been a, a phantom meeting. Turf, leading into Saturday's Cox Plate, is this the boom race of the spring? I felt last year the Melbourne Cup was incentivised, very elegant Spanish mission. I feel like all the form lines, all the storylines are leading into Saturday. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's just after – and what's made the Cox Plate is the Underwood. I mean, the Underwood yeah. was such a fabulous the race. The Power, yeah. The might, yeah. Sorry, the Might and Power. And, and the fact that it's the, virtually the same horses plus the little X Factor from Europe, mm. uh, it, it, it's mouth-watering. 
this is just me. If I was the Mooney Valley Racing Club, I, I would have been happy with a field of ten. I don't know why they bothered with. So who would you take out? I would have taken Young Werther out. Doesn't deserve to be in the race. Uh, and there's another one there as well whose name escapes me. I just uh, maximum maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a ten horse field would have been an even better race than the twelve horse field. I don't think you have to have a full field if they don't really deserve to be. El- think he deserves to be in the race? They, they ran second and third in the Turnbull stakes uh, well, at, at Group yeah, 1 level yeah, big, last who, who time out. Good form at, uh, at 2,000 metres. Smoke and Romans yeah. won the Turnbull, started yeah. favourite in the, yeah. uh, the Caulfield Cup. Yeah. The, oh, it's I a race did. that's provided the last couple of I, Caulfield I, I Cup would, winners. I wouldn't have any, uh, I hesitate to use the word chaff, but <laughs> I'd have the best possible field. And I don't think having a couple of those runners is... Making it the best well, possible field. it helps field. turnover as well, larger fields. I assume that's been taken into consideration. Leading into the weekend, punting as well. Do you think enough's been made of the bias of the track over the last couple of months? When you At the Valley? Yeah, I, I can't help but look at some of the fancy chances on Saturday and think that if the track plays the way it has since August, if the rain comes as well, I can't help but think that the race potentially be shaped by how the track's been Well, the inside barrier may not be a big help for Zaki come race 17 or 18 or whatever the hell it is. Look, it is what it is, the Valley. It's always been like that. And and it has been very on pace this year. You know, going back maybe four or five years, when the rail was true, you didn't really want to be on the fence. It was. you, you You could win those races from midfield. So I don't know what's changed so much over the last Well, the two track or three needs years. replacement in two years. I think, Matt, you probably know more than I do. And um, the club have been open about it. And it's no criticism of Marty and the guys at the Valley. They've done a very good job with the track facilities they have. But I can't help but feel, if the, especially if the rain doesn't come, which it might not heading into Saturday, that the, uh, the routine or the, how the track's been playing might shape the market a little bit. It'll probably, I mean, the track, how the track plays throughout a meeting is always going to shape the market as a meeting goes on. At the end of the day, it's a 173 metre home straight, which hasn't changed in a long, long time. It's going to change in a couple of years' time. It's a significant rise that people aren't that aware of. You You know, it is uphill for the last 600 there. So it may be a short straight, but the bank turn should allow you to sort of be really strong from off midfield there. But it hasn't played that way, uh, certainly this season. And the key at the Valley is always momentum. Yeah, for sure. You need to build momentum down the side and be within striking distance coming around the home bend. I think since the last meeting they had, they've or over the last couple of weeks, they've probably had much better weather in terms of a bit of sun, a bit of rain. They should, so long as they don't get that rain Friday, Saturday, they yeah, should be in outstanding shape well, for Friday night. Looks like we're getting it. Looks like we're getting it the whole of Spring Carnival, to be honest. Can I just throw one more at you from the from last week's racing? Were you uncomfortable when you saw the f- pictures of Jamie Carr watching the Everest? Yes. I, I, w- I was uncomfortable. I, I, don't get me wrong. I understand why Seven did it. Uh, you know, most media outlets will say public interest. I'm not so sure about that. What I, what I am sure of, it was incredibly disrespectful to Jamie Carr. And I just I wondered why would you bother? Why would Seven bother doing that? Do they need to do that? I can't answer that question, to be honest. Um, I don't want to start another. Um, oh, listen, I, live, I, live TV as a, a viewer, I, I found it uncomfortable. Live TV is a tough gig, uh, as we all know here. Um, I, and unnecessary. Yeah. Completely I unnecessary. Yeah, I, you know, I can't. I can't have a. I don't want to start a war, but I didn't particularly like it. Maybe I'm being naive because uh, I, you know, I, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's, a, there's always this fine line between public interest and and not public interest. 
Is the public better off for seeing that footage? Absolutely not. Another one for the Butlers, the Everest on Saturday 2 turf with Jonathan Munns getting some much yeah. needed investment into his... Uh, yeah. He actually told people that passive-aggressive is the best horse in his stable, not kick-a-kick. So it's got a couple of nice ones there. Uh, he watched it from New York, so nice to he see him. He did. We actually spoke to him uh, <laughs> it was good radio. after the race. And, uh, you know, he would have been chuffed by it. But, you, you know, I, I, he's famous in a way for not going to the races. So there's no big deal about that. That's just him. Positive for the industry as well, Giga Kick being a, a gelding. We'll as see much it. as uh, I saw a funny tweet on Sunday. It won't be that positive for the industry if he wins the call. I saw, I saw a funny tweet on Sunday. Someone had said uh, Clayton Douglas's Google search this morning and it was how to ungeld a horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it is, a, it, it, out of doubt, that is the most exciting thing about the horse is that he won't be going to start in six to 12 months. He'll yeah. be around, hopefully, until the nature strips of eight. Have we seen that, Matt? You love nature strip almost as much as you love Sally, your beautiful wife. Have we seen the changing of the guard? No. 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 Nature, you know something? If Nature Strip and Giga Kick run in the VRC Sprint, is that what it's called? The VRC Champion Sprint, sprint this okay. year. Nature, Champions Day. Nature Strip will start favourite. Don't he worry will. about it. He'll start favourite and he'll, he'll be very hard to beat. I think yeah. Clayton's... Uh, I think he set him a big task Clayton's, last week. Clayton's um, weighing up whether he runs in the, the Coolmore or the, the champion sprint. You'd be good to see well, a, a rematch between uh, Nature Strip Did James McDonald press the button too early turf on, uh, on the strip? I just thought it was a bit, a bit uh, aggressive. Um, the breeders won't be wanting Nature Strip to be running in the... Uh, Giga Kick to be running in the no. Coolmore, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Turfy, your early tip for the Cox Plate? Um... I, I might have something on, on the international. I went back and had a look at his group one in France. Um, you know, we saw State of Rest last year. <coughs> I know he's a multiple group one winner, but he's certainly not one of Europe's best. Um, I, uh, you know, it's a smart stable. It'll be an interesting test of the Doville legend form, of course, beaten by Doville legend yeah. uh, last time out. Doville legend being the current Melbourne yeah, Cup, Cup favourite. Yeah, I... I, I I wouldn't back Animo anyway, so I certainly. Why don't. is that though? I just price? Don't know. yeah, price really. You know, I mean, he'll be in the finish. He's a t- fantastic racehorse. Do I want to cop six to four or two fifty about him? Not really. No, I don't. It's either no bet for me or have something on the uh, international. Paul, you backed uh, Giga Kick last week, which you told us after the fact, of <laughs> course. So uh, that's Wednesday we're recording. The race was last Saturday for anyone who's not aware. Do you want to tell us the winner now or wait till next week? I think Animo wins it. I'll be having something little on Gold Trip. Um, when coaches of football teams or good trainers speak about in a certain way that hints a hint of confidence. And hearing Kieran Maher and Dave Eustace yesterday talk about Gold Trip, backing up from the heavyweights of the Caulfield Cup into Wait for Age, um, blinkers on. Mm. Um, I just at the price twenty six dollars. I'll be having a little bit on that, but I still in the rain. In he's the rain. Talking. He's suddenly talking sense. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, make the most of it. All right, listen, you asked me not to call you Big Dog today, and if you're going to start calling out the jokes, um, then let's roll turf. Yeah. I was being really positive. Anyway, on that note, uh, enjoy Cox Plate Weekend. It truly is one of the great races, one of the great carnivals on the racing calendar. So make sure you head out to the valley. Otherwise, tune into all the action on uh, racing.com, Channel 7, RSN, whatever you want to do, make sure you consume it all. We'll see you next week. I shall. That was a good dream. Presented by Racing.com and Top Sport.